Anastasia Posner is a rower who turned down the chance to go to the Olympics. But as we'll listen to in a minute, that's not what defines her. She's an incredibly accomplished rower, uh, represented Oxford in five boat races, winning four of them. Uh, She then joined the Team GB rowing program, competing in the World Championships. Alongside all this, she's been training to be a doctor. She retired from international rowing in 2020 to complete her medical studies, but she loves rowing so much that we interviewed her in her new club's brand new boathouse, Falcon Rowing Club in Oxford. Now, I think this is one of my favourite interviews we've ever done. It's honest, it's raw, it's insightful into the world of elite sports. So if you're listening and you compete at the top level or you don't, I think this will still be really, really helpful as you think through how your faith and sport fit together. Uh, It's really insightful. So uh, let's dive in, let's listen now as Graham Daniels interviews Anastasia Posner. Anastasia, welcome to the Christians in Sport podcast. Thank you. You know the first question, it's rehearsed. Well, no, you're rehearsing with us, but you know what it is. Begin by telling us, what does it mean for you to have your sport and your faith connected, to play connected? Yes, I was thinking about this and they're so connected, it's hard to talk about it. So I guess um kind of became a Christian in my late teens, early, early 20s, and that was the time I rowing was taking off and I guess rowing and my faith are the context that I've lived my life for the last sort of 10, 11 years. And it's quite hard to imagine any aspect of my life without rowing or without my faith. And so it's, they're just there. And that's how I, that's how I've been doing life. Well, that is frankly, that's pretty healthy. Um, I can't but then say, tell us then about your journey to faith. Let, let's do that immediately because they're, if they're so inextricably linked, mm. uh, tell us if you don't mind how that happened. Yes, yeah, so I kind of grew up uh, in a, a kind of nominally Christian home, if I'm honest. So we'd give to church occasionally, and I had my granny was, you know, is a strong Christian, had her Christian relatives, and I never um, rejected the idea there was a God. I always thought I was a Christian. Um, and then when I was getting confirmed as a teenager, because it was kind of what you do. Um, I realized there was a lot more to it. And I, I wanted to know more about Jesus. I wanted to follow Jesus. Um, and I guess that was happening around the age of 15, 16. And then going off to university, joining a church, then I, I started to learn what that looked like and what it actually meant. So you, 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 you were here at Oxford, which is where we're recording. Um, so you, you, you went straight to church. Did, would you say... What's the process there? Would you say, I think I probably had become a Christian when I arrived, or was it sometime later? How did it actually land? Yeah. I'd say I was a Christian because I wanted to follow Jesus and I loved him, but I knew absolutely nothing about it. I distinctly remember being in a CU meeting and it occurring to me that people actually thought the Bible was true. So I had a long way to go and I didn't understand the gospel and I uh, didn't understand the cross for quite a few years. But, you know, the first Sunday... In Oxford, I, I went along to church. I was excited. That was one of the things I was looking forward to about starting university was was joining a church and learning more about what it meant to be a Christian. So that first year as a fresher here was pivotal in, in getting a few of the building blocks in place. Yeah, I'd definitely say so. Uh, like just learning what it meant to um, to be a Christian. I didn't tell anyone that I didn't actually know anything. <laughs> if, if anyone else is in my position, maybe... That would be a word of advice because I think everyone just assumes a fresher turning up on the first Sunday has 
has got all the answers, but I, I certainly didn't. Um, <laughs> so it's just a period of discovering things. And um, I think it was more in my third year, like um, more involved in the rowing, that I really kind of understood what it meant to uh, to be a Christian and why the cross was necessary. I think um, I've been fortunate to, I guess, have a lot of success in life and sport and academics, and I, I basically thought that's quite great. And um, it like took me took me finding things harder to to see that I wasn't great, that I was a sinner, and that I needed Jesus. And when I got that, like on my heart, rather than just knowing I needed forgiveness, but like believing I needed it, then. Hmm. That was pretty pivotal. When you came up to Oxford, uh, you were in the crew for the boat race uh, as a fresher. Indeed, uh, for the first uh, four years, four years he did four years, and you won them all. Mm. You won every boat race. <laughs> uh, and when I arrived today, I was thinking, wow, that's that's some stat, 4-0, uh, only to discover that you did roll last year at <laughs> 22. So it's now 4-1. Let's put it like that. Give us a feel that this is recorded because of the boat race uh, this month. Uh, give us a feel of being in the boat race. Yes, it's incredible and like right up there with my kind of best best rowing memories. Like it's important to remind people that when I came in 2013, the women didn't do the boat race in London. It wasn't on the television. We were the very first year to have any funding available. Before I arrived, it was funded by the athletes. Um, so I came in an exciting time. So, um, I remember there was a newspaper article just after I'd accepted my offer to Oxford, literally the next day. And I wasn't really sure what I'd done because it wasn't the strongest program. And, um, that announced that the women would be doing the boat rates in 2015 with the men and that they would be properly funded as the men. And, um, that was that was before I arrived. So I arrived at a like an awesome time, um, and that was um, from 2013 to 2015, a kind of three-year build-up to this this moment that that was significant in the world of British sport. The boat race is iconic. I often say to people, it's an opportunity you don't deserve, but you get to enjoy. You know, your university athletes competing in front of millions of people. It's it's mad, um, but it's important that there are women doing that and that they're visible. And we got to be the first woman to do that and the first. Well, women to win. I was rather hoping to ask you about <laughs> it because having done it, having been in it twice yeah. and then to be right at the heart of it, uh, describe the differences then. You're now in the, you're in the public arena, big time, on the television. Was it massively different from the first two? Yeah, like completely different. Elements were similar, so we had the same coach and she was really passionate about women's sport and she'd really driven into us the significance of what we were doing from the first day in September 2012 and so that culture of the team realizing that we were building towards this massive moment for women's sport that had been there for three years but to actually be there in London um, on the television um, it was it was mad I was the president that year so I had a lot of uh, media and we had some ridiculous events like we got invited to like Women as Sports Personality of the Year and Times Sport, I don't know. So we were off to these award ceremonies and everything, um, and it was fun. But, you know, on the day, it's it's an experience that um, other rowers will never have, not even at, at the elite level, of walking out and there are about 300,000 people on the banks and about five to seven million people watching 
live on television and um it's just it's surreal and it's exciting and um there's this moment that i think is quite special when you um you walk out for the boathouse and they're counting you down they're like five four three you know for the for the telly and you walk out and it's mad and you're so focused that there's there's chaos everywhere and then you push out onto the river it's a big river and you're out in the middle and suddenly it's just you and your crew um like ready to do what you know you can do and like that contrast i was was pretty cool of enjoying the like the excitement on the bank and then just being your unit ready to race must be amazing to be you will always have been the president of the boat club and that first ever race of that magnitude what well, i mean that's in the record books isn't that class yeah it was i'm just so grateful the timing you know was nothing of my own doing and i, I feel you know god's been kind like it was it was an amazing experience and i came along at such an exciting time for for women's rowing i was also the first school girl to race at henley in 2012 all of these milestones just fell at the perfect time for me um, and I'm really grateful for that uh -huh. well on to another milestone which must have been an incredibly hard decision in September 2060 uh, you joined the GB squad so that means leaving university four years in to your medical training with a view to getting ready for Tokyo 2020 that's a shift. I mean, that is a huge life decision. Would you mind talking us through a bit of that decision a little bit? And then um, what was the significant change from being an undergraduate rower here to being the GB squad? Yeah, um, I say I'm not a big dreamer, so I didn't, I didn't necessarily see the change coming kind of um, in most things quite a one day at a time kind of person so I was doing my best and opportunities open up and um in the February of 2016 there was a trial for people not going to the Rio Olympics and um I think I won that by 10 seconds maybe a bit more and I do I do remember thinking much of it rather than just being satisfied and then cracking back <laughs> on with medical school at the very race but um in the summer towards the end of my fourth year of med school, I was really struggling with the, the recovery side. So just, you know, getting up, training before, then cycling up the hill to heading to, so it's just not an insignificant training cycle, then being on my feet all day, following the consultant around the hospital, then kind of skiving off at lunchtime, hoping no one would notice, cycle back to training. And I wasn't recovering, so I was passing out quite a lot. I was, I was exhausted. And um, it was only then that it occurred to me that, that just rowing um, would be a solution. And um, I only had a couple of weeks really to sort it out before the fifth year started. But um, the med school were, were super supportive. They said, you can have a year. And if it looks like you're good <laughs> at the end of the year, then you can have more years. And um, so that was our agreement. And then my parents are quite laid back. But my dad did say to me, oh, I never thought you'd earn any money anyway. <laughs> but he loves it. He loves it. But um, they were just, I just announced to them that that was my plan. Even like okay, <laughs> so everyone was supportive and yeah. and laid back, and maybe saw it coming before I did. I didn't. Well, they obviously did. <laughs> if you smashed it by ten seconds in February, what was the? How big a change was it? So, I mean, you're fainting because you're trying to do everything. Uh, what were the de what were the physical demands? Were they harder? Yeah, in one sense, harder. 
like huge volumes of training and I was probably the only one who hadn't been rowing at a high level before so lots of people were joining the senior team for the first time but they maybe had had a year between university and and that rowing at club level at the top level so um I went from training 10 times a week for the row race to training three times a day um and even the training I was doing the sessions were longer a lot of the stuff in the gym and um I'm I'm very small for a for an open weight rower and I, I remember the um, the weights coach just watching me try to squat, just like, oh, horrified. Like, how had someone got themselves onto the team without being able to squat? And I was there with, like, I don't know, the bar, basically, learning how to do all of that for the first time. So it was it was a huge step up um, in terms of training. And, you know, I, I think I'd probably been the least professional <laughs> before the start of that season. Um but also because I had come from quite a low training base, relatively, um, I, I made really quick progress and it was an exciting time. You know, I went from being the kind of lanky one probably to have the last invitation on the team to, um, to you know, finishing at the top of the trial system. So not, not first, but, you know, high up. And, um, and the coach, being, he said to me, like, I wasn't sure about you. Didn't know if you'd be any good. But yeah, right, this has gone well. So those, those that first year was exciting um, just because I could focus on my rowing. I was doing a lot more. I was getting better fast. Um, I was traveling the world, racing at World Cups, and it was it was very exciting. Psychologically, um, is an entirely different aspect again, isn't it? When, when you're competing full-time, and indeed, in your sport, you're training every day with the very people who are competing against each other for a seat in in the boat. Mm -hmm. How different, good or bad, was that in relation to being an amateur? Really? Yeah, like completely different. And I think the first year, the excitement and the novelty for everyone, like a lot of us we knew after the Rio Olympics, pretty much everyone retired. We had a few returners. So we were all new, we were all going on training camp for the first time and going to the World Cup for the first time and, and that somewhat settled the competitiveness and, and we were all just pleased to be there. But over the, the next few years, it's, it's intense and um, just that constantly being compared because it's not even like um, you have a trial every month or whatever, they were recording ev like everything. Um, so, you know, Every every piece you did on the road machine, every piece you did on the water, every training session, what you're doing in the gym, what you weighed, what you know, it was all being monitored, and that kind of relentlessness of knowing that, like, oh no, today that person beat me, but usually I beat them, or you know, I finished in this position of my pair, but I want to be here. Even in training sessions, um, it was there just all the time, and it's it's tiring, really, really tiring. Can you escape that stress because? For those who are in elite sport who are listening to us, pretty much all elite sport now is 24-7 monitored, physically for certain. How do you, can you escape the stress? What mechanisms, I know it's a private question, so I don't need to know private answers, but, but what mechanisms does a person deploy to find some equilibrium here? So, I think it's hard to escape because yeah. when you're not at training, you're at home and you're recovering. 
and you're avoiding people who are ill or you're getting ill or you're thinking about what you eat or you're not going to a wedding when everyone else is. And I think it is hard to escape because if it's not the pressure to perform that you have at training, it's the, pre the pressure to be ready to perform or to recover. Um, so I think it's hard to escape, honestly. Um, there are times in the season where it's easier to escape, like, you know, the after selection has been finished, you know, you're going into summer, you're going into the racing season, you have the pressure to perform in the race and you want your crew to be as good as possible, but you haven't got that individual pressure. I think it's more of a shared burden. I did a lot of my racing in an eight. I'm sure we really want, and that's a slightly different pressure, a pressure to perform together rather than a pressure individually to perform against someone else. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Christians Sport podcast. I hope you're enjoying our chat with Anastasia. We'll get back to it in just a minute. Now, at Christians in Sport, we long to give every sports person the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Uh, could you help us do that? We're looking to raise up more monthly donors to support the work of reaching the world of sport for Christ, including producing more resources like this. Uh, if you think that's something you could do as you prayerfully consider your giving, then just head to christiansinsport.org.uk forward slash donate to check out a number of exciting stories about how God has brought people to follow him in the world of sport and what you can do to help us continue to do that. Thanks. Let's head back to listen to Anastasia and Dana continue their conversation. Let's go back to your faith and sport, the integration of them. Perhaps we can unpack how your faith was developing in this period and what were the strengths of faith and indeed what were the challenges of faith in Christ in this period in particular, second year maybe, second or third year at GB rowing. Yeah, it was, it was important and I guess it's like what you're preaching to yourself and what you're holding on to your heart and they're not always the same, are they? But you can keep preaching truth and the gospel and that you know your identity is secure in Christ and that whatever happens, you are the same today, stay tomorrow, and you won't be loved any less if you're injured or if you don't perform or if you get dropped or if you win. Um, you're the same. And it's hard to always hold on to that and i think in the pressure in the moment and in the culture you're in when few other people are holding on to that it can be can be tough um i was fortunate god was kind in giving me um becky musri so she was a um another christian on the team we actually rode the pair together um and had a lot of success and that was like you could you don't know, choose who you rode the pair with that was an incredibly special time and we could um especially when we were racing internationally in the pair together you know being able to um, pray before going out getting it on the water before going to race the world cup or or whatever was or the world champs we ate together it was a real privilege and we were able to keep pointing each other to jesus at different points in our christian journey but keep pointing each other back to it and reminding each other of what's true um so it was it was a huge help but i think also at times i thought it kind of made it challenging because i i knew my identity wasn't in rome and sometimes if you're pursuing being the best in the world and you're trying to get to the olympics you always have to tell yourself it's everything because it demands so much of you and you have to make so many sacrifices and you have to be so selfish 
it's hard to justify if it doesn't actually matter <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. And I found a bit of a tension there. I know Christians' fort motto is, um, you know, Romans 12, you know, we're using our, our bodies for the glory of God. But sometimes I found it hard to be like, well, God cares and he loves me and he wants to see me use my body to use the gifts that he's given me. But when it was tough and becoming all consuming, I was like, but my identity is secure, so do I need to do this? Um, so I think it made it harder for me to be single-minded um, because as Christians, we're not called to be selfishly single-minded. And I think maybe if I'd been an elite athlete for longer, that's something I would have matured into and really understanding how to be the very best athlete for the glory of God. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was that, good. That, that's, sorry, I jumped in on you then, but I could see you were pausing a bit. This is such a fresh conversation we're having. Um, any, and I would say any young person who's in a significant elite pathway who has a faith, and indeed any senior professional who would have had longer than you at the sharp edge of being a pro, um, they'd all they'd all get what you've just said. I, I think I want to turn it a bit though and try different optics on it. Try looking at yourself if you hadn't been a Christian in this period. Yeah. And you could have pushed everything out of the way to do it. What would that have looked like? Yeah, I think it would have been rough. <laughs> I think sometimes people um, look back on their elite careers with kind of rose-tinted spectacles. But I look back and the longer I'm away from it, the harder I realize it was. And it was hard and it was intense and you're physically exhausted. And so you're emotionally exhausted. And without having my faith, I, I don't know where I would have got hope, but I don't know where I would have got security and peace when things were going wrong. And I was, um, I was quite prone to getting injured I'm kind of, you know, I said I'm a small rower, so I think that might be vulnerable to get injured. And, you know, in those times of injury, just drawing on my faith and knowing that God is in control. And that's not a kind of flippant cliche. He is in control and he's let this happen. And for whatever reason that's for, I'm where he wants me to be. Um, so I think certainly in the hard times, it was so important. And I think also in the pressure, in the times of pressure, um, Becky and I, we used to just um, say that, you know, God's given everything, given us everything we need mm. to fulfill his will today. And so that, that doesn't take any of the competitive nature. We need to squeeze every bit of talent out of us that he's given us, but we don't need more than he's given us. And I think that gave us real freedom to compete. And, you know, we stepped up every time we raced people. I we kind of had a reputation for do it better maybe than people had thought. And I think that was from that knowledge that we had everything we needed um, to, to do his will. We needed to use it all, but we didn't need anything. So I think that helped me manage the, the burden of racing. And without the rowing, I think my faith would look different because it was, you know, I was in the furnace. It was, it was tough. It really was. And seeing how the Lord showed me my brokenness at times, but also help me learn to depend on him and to um, learn his truths and share my faith. It's hard to imagine 
that he would have been able to grow my face so much in a different context without that intensity. And that's a double-edged sword now that I'm not in that intensity. But yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, you'll find a way to mature your faith in your current life circumstances. You articulate really clearly four things. And I'm interested to see what you make of this uh, sort of research, research that we've done into the experience of Christian elite athletes. The data, the data from that research shows us there's probably four things in play. A two are internal or personal. You're expected if you play at the elite level, compete at the elite level to get your fulfillment from the game, as it were. And you're expected to get your security from fitting in with a coach and your peers. Uh, conversion to Christ tends to show that there's a willingness to take both of those on without losing your edge. Uh, your fulfillment's first in him and your security's in him. But the result of that often is a third thing, which is if you're authentic in that, it leads to conflict and it can lead to conflict um, at elite sport level in all sports. But having come through conflict, which is invariable, um, that authenticity does lead to a witness where people will see that you can compete to the uttermost, hold your nerve on what's right and wrong, and will quietly come to you and say, could I talk to you about something personal? And it's about faith to do with life and circumstances and so on. Did you find any, I mean, it's a four-year window, isn't it? Did you, did you find that your authenticity did draw, or you're a humble person, you're not going to just tell me yes, your authenticity drew conversations uh, in that context? Yeah, it was such a hard environment. And I think um, the, the tiredness coming away from it, I realized is pretty central to why it was so hard. And I was so aware of my sin and I just wasn't, I think what I was aware of in that time was that I could say the wrong thing and I could be nasty and I could upset people. And that was all from that like burning intensity and yet the Lord still used that. And I wasn't witnessing because people saw something of Christ in me, sadly. I was not witnessing when I could share that Christ was the answer to my brokenness. And that was, that could be really painful at times that I had, that I was just so aware of messing up or saying something unkind because it's such an intense environment living and training with the people you're competing against. But it did give me opportunities to say why as a Christian, I could acknowledge my sin and my brokenness and the hurt that it could cause at times. And and yet I have forgiveness and so can others. And that is a hard way to share your faith. But I think it was often probably some of the way that I did. And I guess I was, had other opportunities throughout my own career where, where God brought people into my lives who were raised Christian, but maybe it actually kind of not being into church let their faith fall away. And and there was this mutual encouragement where I was excited to be a new Christian and they had all of the teaching <laughs> and the knowledge of what it looked like to be a Christian. And at each stage of my own career, I can think of someone who um, the Lord used to teach me so much, but also who he used me to uh, get them back into church and get them 
on fire again for their faith and um, didn't necessarily see anyone come to faith, but to a number of people like that um, was like a real privilege and so special. How tough then was the decision uh, when the Tokyo Olympics were postponed during COVID uh, to step out? Because by this point, you, you would have had to go five years out of medical school and you made the decision that you really couldn't do that and you're going back to back to training. Tough? The decision wasn't tough, but I guess the fallout for the decision took some time. So I think I'm not a big thinker, so I just looked at it and I was like, you know what? The med school want me back. There's another year and we don't know what's gonna happen. And and honestly, I was, I was I was burnt out and I wasn't the only one to step away from the team at that time. A number of women did. And um, it just wasn't worth it for me. It just wasn't worth it. I absolutely love rowing, I have no regrets, but I didn't have another year of that intensity and that lifestyle in me just to go to the Olympics. And that sounds like a strange thing to say, but I had I was really satisfied with how I competed. The very last thing I did was the Olympic trials in 2020. I came third with a broken foot with Becky, the, the Christian. And I was, so I was happy on a kind of physical level that actually, sure, if I carried on rowing, I'd get better. I was only, I think, 26. Was I? I don't know, 28. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I was 26. I'm sure I had many more years of improving, but I was happy with the level I'd got to and the performance I'd put down at that final test. And and I'd had amazing experiences. Like those four years had been tough, but I had yeah travelled the world. I'd competed at world championships and European championships. I'd done the sport I love all day every day, and I met great friends and had people invest in me. I don't think there's any other place in the world where like so much money and time is being spent on making you as good as you can be at something. And I felt like I'd experienced all of that. The only thing I hadn't done was the actual Olympics, but I didn't think that they were worth it for me in that moment when I was, um, I had a few more months left in me, not, not 15 more months left in me. So kind of weighing that up and the fact that the med school weren't that excited by me having a fifth year out. Um, it was quite a straightforward decision actually not not to carry on. But that doesn't mean there wasn't uh, grief at letting go of, of that goal I'd had. A sense that I had failed, like you spent four years training to go to the Olympics. That's what it's about, let's be honest. There are other races along the way, but I'm not an Olympian. And, um, that question comes up all the time now. It's, you know, you've, I don't know, I'm 29, I'm a bit older to be a first year doctor. What, what what were you doing? Did you do another degree? No, I didn't do another degree. I rode, oh, right. Did you do it professionally? And you get there. Oh, did you go to the Olympics? No, no, I didn't go to the Olympics. And that's, that's, that's hard. Like I would prefer to say, yes, yes, I did. And I finished with this medal, but that's not the reality. Um, and so there was a time of processing that and and moving on. But I think honestly, my faith has allowed me to do that probably easier than a lot of my peers um, because my identity is secure and the Lord is sovereign and this is his will for my life. And 
I had everything I need in him. I didn't need the Olympics to make me complete. And so it, it was kind of okay. That doesn't mean that I tuned in to watch the Olympics <laughs> in 2021. Um, I didn't. That We were somewhere without phone signal camping and that was the best way to deal with it. But um, I don't have any regrets about making the decision and I'm content with with how things left. This is a class interview. It's a, I'm telling you now, it's a class interview because there's at least two levels of which is absolutely top draw. For those very few people in our world who get to be pro athletes, everyone's got a version of this story. Because of course, you know what happens. People then say, did you go to the Olympics? How did you do? And then if it's not what you wanted, it's not good enough. There's always the next thing. And so actually what really matters is faithfulness to your vocation at any time and contentment and contentment that you know that you're more than it, more than a rower. So this will be very inspirational to so many people on different levels. How did, um, how did church, going to church play any part in those four intensive years for you? Yeah, it has to be. Like it has to be flexible. Like um, in in the British team, we were away a hundred days a year, so that's a lot of Sundays. But it was a commitment. And actually, way back from when I became a Christian or started coming to church at the beginning of university, the the Bible study was just a a, a non-negotiable. I was there, and no matter how busy I was, it was just it was a commitment I had each week, and and I would be there, and that was great. And church itself on a Sunday. Um, we had evening services where I go to church and so I'd go to the evening service um, because I'd be training during the day when I was at university. And that looked a bit different. The other students went to a service earlier in the day. Um, and so I had a slightly different community, but that was that was when I could go. Um, so I guess it was making a commitment and just sticking to that commitment. And I'm not a super black and white person, but that, that was quite black and white. It was like, you go. And then, um, yeah, when I joined the national team full-time, I actually had a few more Sundays. We, we still trained some Sundays, but um, usually we'd be back. It was just one session. So if I was in the UK, I had Sundays off, which was nice. <laughs> that was my first time having Sundays off, so I enjoyed that. And then when we were overseas, it was just trying to make time to, to, to look at the Bible, to listen to a talk, maybe um, listen to some Christian music. Um, if I was with other Christians, there was another Christian on the team, we might look at the Bible together and just try and have church, just the two of us meeting together and churches where Christians meet together. And that's not a substitute for actually going to church and hearing the teaching and being part of a big church family. But, but when you're away, it, it is still church. And so um, we used to train on training camps, two full days, one half day on repeat for two weeks or two and a half weeks. And so those half days were just my time to check in and look at the Bible um, with someone else and um, listen to some Christian music. Training camps are tough, your room sharing. Um, so you haven't really got your own space. And so I'd often go for walks and just listen to a talk or listen to some Christian music. Um, and I was able to keep serving, I think every year. So I was able to work with the students and then we did English language ministry and, and that takes some 
flexibility from the church as well, and I was supported by them. You know, I couldn't be there every week at the student Bible study because I wasn't in the country. But um, just allowing me to still serve and grow through that service, despite the fact that I couldn't make a commitment and I was going to be on and off, and my church family understanding that uh, was was really helpful too. And Debbie Flood and you, her old friends, I dare say now. Uh, what was the relationship with Christians in sport in this whole period? Yes, I think it was like some sometime on various season when I was just worn down, turned off at church crying that uh, that the student worker, a lady called Sharon Mack, was like, this, this girl needs Christians in sport. Um, so that's when she put me in touch with Debbie. So I started meeting with Debbie um, as a, when I was still a student, so I was doing like age group stuff, like under 23 stuff for the GB and um, boat races. And um, we saw a meeting together. And that was just really helpful to have someone who gets it because actually the intensity of the world youth sports, especially dare I say rowing, like the amount of training we do, it's, it's absolutely relentless. And people frankly just don't get it in the church they would love to but, but they don't and um having someone who did get it and would get it when i was struggling and knew exactly what the trials were that i was going through and could in that still point me back to jesus and not belittle it be like yeah this is this is tough like this injury is really tough or this selection period you're going through is really hard but then pray about it and and point me to jesus was was really helpful and it was also I think one of the things I struggled with at church was that I was the rower. And yet, as a Christian, I was being told that my identity wasn't in rowing. <laughs> at church, everyone just knew me about rowing and they'd always ask me about rowing. And I was like, can you help me here? Like, I'm trying to have my identity in Christ, not in rowing. And that's something I really struggled with. Um, or just found frustrating, to be honest. And it's also just your life, isn't it? So it's not very exciting for me that I'm good at rowing, even if it's exciting for other people. So, but Debbie is better at rowing and is a Christian and just being able to just have a completely, for her to be completely unimpressed and just talk about life as a Christian was, was really helpful too. Meanwhile, here we are uh, at the Falcon Boat Club, uh, brand new. Looking out on the river behind us, uh, it's not even finished, <laughs> oh, and you've got us in here for the interview. What are you doing here? Yeah, I'm somewhat unusual, I think, in that I just I do love rowing. Um, if it were just rowing, I would have carried on forever. But there's careers and families and all sorts of other things. Um, and so, yeah, the first thing I did was um, well, I returned to Oxford to finish my medical degree and I took a year out of rowing. I still rowed, <laughs> but I'd go down to my club Leander and just sob in on a Saturday um, and that was good fun. But I didn't do too much rowing. I, I thought I should probably focus on trying to remember all of the medicine I'd obviously forgotten <laughs> the previous four years. Um, so I took a year out, but then I knew I wouldn't stay away for long. So I thought, well, final year of bed school, why not? One, one more boat race and um, coming at it from a completely different angle because I had, um, I guess I'd come in as a fresher. I was 18 when I first joined the boat race team and there I was, 28, <laughs> married, 
having <laughs> had a kind of career as an elite athlete, very much the kind of mum on the team. Um, and it was a special experience. I went back for a few reasons. Um, Oxford had lost for a long time. And in my pride, I thought, well, maybe I can get them back onto a winning streak, which I didn't. Um, but also because I wanted to finish my rowing. And I think that was one of the hard things about COVID was that I left the boathouse on that day of Olympic trials, like over the mood, I'd just come third us. And that was it. I never, I never went back um, other than to get my stuff like three months later. And so that sense that I never finished, that there were just, I never knew if I'd done my last test on the row machine, I hadn't known I'd done my last serious race. Um, I felt like I wanted to finish and know I was finishing. And the final thing was I wanted to, I didn't want to give back. I'd learned a lot and really, really uh, benefited from older athletes on the team when I was a boat race rower, a younger one. And so I just thought, well, maybe I can share some wisdom, <laughs> some experience. So and I love rowing. So that was quite fun. I really enjoyed going back. Um, it was nice. I didn't really feel like I was under any pressure. Um, so it's just back to looking forward to finishing my day in the hospital or well, not finishing it, sliding off at lunchtime to, um, to go rowing was, was good fun. And then, then I went away after the boat race. So I finished, I finished my exams already. And my husband and I went to Kenya on a mission trip. So I worked in a hospital. Uh, but the first day we got back from that, I was down at Falk joining, joining up. <laughs> in fact, I think I said to Nima, well, that's still there. Um, because yeah, rowing is <laughs> it's always going to be part of my life. Um, and it's been great. I joined, I thought I was going to just use it to keep my boat, do some single sculling. I was like, I won't be rowing with people at Falcon because I'm Arabian. But after about three weeks, some, some older ladies, they'd got a, um, a master's quad going and they invited me to join. And so we, we, um, we train and we race in the, the 40 to 45 year olds category. That's our average age. You're one of the 40 somethings. <laughs> And um, it's great fun. It's great fun. <laughs> so yeah, I'm back. This is still my my happy place. Like there's nothing more special to me than being on the water. Actually, we were doing a Bible study on Micah last week, and there's that scene where the uh, scene for that uh, sitting under the fig tree and that that vision of paradise. And I was encouraging people to think about well, what does that look like for you. And the closest thing we have on earth for me is being out on the river with the sun out. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> you'll never drag me off the river. That is a great place to finish our interview, isn't it? Anastasia, thanks very much. Brilliant, thank you, thank you very much. Wow, well, that was absolutely super. Thanks so much to Anastasia for her time. Thanks to Falcon Boat Club uh, for hosting us. Um, I do hope that was helpful, challenging for you as you listened in. I know it was for me. Uh, do let us know uh, how you found it. Pop us a line on social media. Drop us an email, uh, podcast at christiansinsport.org.uk. Let us know your top takeaways. We love to hear things like that. Uh, and if you can, do leave us a rating uh, and a review if you can. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it means more people can find this uh, and other podcasts we have in our library as well. Podcasts such as our Game Day uh, podcast, which comes out once a week with a short version of Sports People or our Talks podcast, where you can listen to talks from our conferences and events. Uh, finally, uh, if you've not yet, if you'd like to be connected more fully into the uh, the world of Christians in sport by connecting with other sports people like you, uh, then we've got networks. Networks for those in amateur or elite sports, for students, also for parents of those in elite pathways. 
uh, these networks just to help connect others in similar situations together, give them time in the Bible, chance to pray together, to think through what it looks like to live as a Christian in the world of sport. If that sounds up your street, then head to christiansinsport.org.uk forward slash networks and you can sign up today. Thanks so much for listening in to today's podcast. It's been great having you. We've got plenty more to come soon. Uh, we'll see you next time.